Good morning. My name is James, one of the pastors here, and uh, if you're here for the first time, as you can tell, my voice is, is not uh, fully recovered yet. Apparently, after the last few months of uh, stress and all the stuff with my father's passing, my body decided it was done, and so it told me to take a little break, apparently. Um, so uh, I will obviously not force this upon you for the next little while. I'll plan to be back next week. I've seen a specialist to get it all worked out, but that's a little sad and frustrated not be able to be up here. But I'm super excited for today because instead, one of my dear friends is going to be able to come bring the word for us this morning. Um, Jimmy Reed, Pastor Jimmy Reed, has been a pastor for a number of years. He'll share more of his story. He was the pastor at my parents' church uh, for a number of years and was pastoring them. And he is one, when, when he recently stepped out of pastoring and their church closed down, I recruited him so hard to come here. Um, there are a few people I know of that I can recommend more heartily than Jimmy in regards to character, integrity, and passion for the lost. He is incredible. And I'm so grateful that he was able to come. He's one of the missionaries that we support here. And so I'm so grateful he can come and be able to bless us with his heart for the lost, his heart specifically for young people, and we can receive from that this morning. So I have to rest my voice, apparently. Um, but uh, love you guys and look forward to being back next week. Thanks, Pastor James. You're, you're so kind. Um, I am super thankful to get to be here. I feel so connected to this church, even though I haven't had a chance to really attend a whole lot. Um, it was about uh, 10 years ago. I was a youth and children's pastor, and our, our pastor at Northside Church had stepped down, and I had knew, known Pastor Steve Mitchells through our pastor's lunch network and called him up and, and got advice for a period of months, and, and he ended up continually speaking life into me to the point where I, I took that position and got to pastor that small church for about nine years, and it was a, a really great opportunity and thankful for his investment um, in my life. And I did, uh, the last three years or so, got to pastor um, Jim and Annette Lunn uh, at Northside as well, and that's uh, how I originally heard of, of James and Sarah. Um, so my condolences to you and your family, and I loved getting to know uh, Jim and he just lit up anytime he got to talk about um, his son James and their family and their work in South Africa. And that was so cool uh, to get to hear. And, and Jim had amazing ministries throughout his life and loved um, getting to walk with them. And then uh, I want to introduce myself a little bit with a, a family photo here. Uh, this is us. Um, this is me. It's my wife, Becca. We met at Northwest University in Kirkland, and we've been married for a little over 11 years now. And these are our two boys, um, Calvin, age six, and Theo, uh, two and a half. And uh, Theo's personality matches his curly hair. So uh, super bubbly and, and joyful and fun. And Calvin's got all the energy in the world. He's got a September birthday. So we just started kindergarten. Um, he loves it. He's an extreme, extreme extrovert. And uh, Becca, it just brings so much joy to my life. And unfortunately, they weren't able to be here today. Um, the boys were actually my primary focus the last 48 hours. My wife went on a girls' weekend that she had planned long ago, and so I got to, we had, got to have a boys' weekend, and we just played and went to the store yesterday, bought some little basketballs, and we've been playing indoors because it's so cold. And I told them, like, you guys should enjoy playing indoors now. When mom comes home, we're probably not going to be allowed to play basketball indoors, you know? Uh, <laughs> but we did. We did. Um, I also want to thank you. I'm, I'm with Young Life. I'm the area director for Everett Mill Creek Young Life. And you as a church have been supporting us, at least in our database, it goes back as far as 2008. Um, that's a long time. Uh, so thank you so much for your generosity. And uh, it's helped our area reach a ton of students for Christ, students that wouldn't normally come to church, but now are a part of churches like this uh, because of your investment. So really appreciate you. Um, 
Also, I was just doing some look backs on, on uh, financial data, because when you're a fundraiser, you need to know coming into year end, kind of where things sit and all that. Um, and this church, out of about 400 donors, uh, was the third highest giver in the last four years out of any of those. And so I was just blown away by your generosity. Yeah, seriously, thank you. Um, I want to give you a brief update of where things stand with Everett Mill Creek Young Life, and then we'll pray and dig into God's Word uh, together. So I've got a couple of photos here. We'll start with this one. Uh, this is our teen moms group at camp. Uh, it's called Young Lives. With uh, You might recognize Braylon Cooper in the very center bottom there uh, with the little guy. Um, she's our coordinator. Just, she just moved to full time, which is really exciting. Um, it's hard to get teen moms to camp, but they did it. Uh, they joined up with a couple hundred teen moms from the Pacific Northwest, and it's amazing to see not only uh, students transformed, but whole families transformed as they meet Jesus and as they learn to walk with him in this new, uh, this new place in their life. Um, and just Thursday, they had another club, and they had five new teen moms that they'd never met before show up, which is like, you know, 50 brand new kids. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, next photo, please. This is our Capernaum group, Young Life Capernaum, um, is kids of all abilities, so developmental or cognitive uh, disabilities, and it's just an amazing group that comes together and receives the love of Jesus um, together. I got to visit with them in August. We went to Mukilteo Beach and just kind of hung out and played games, and we were there, um, and I got to sit down with uh, a lady named Sarah, uh, who has Down syndrome, and we just walked the beach for 30 minutes looking for a specific seashell, every plain white seashell, and it was like the most peaceful time of my life. And it's such a gift that they have this, this intimate, close knowledge of who God is and this ability to be present fully where they are in general. Um, but that's what I got to experience uh, with, with Sarah on that trip, um, and it really blessed, blessed me. Next slide, please. Uh, this is our high school group that we took from Everett High. Uh, our area has been in significant transition since the start of COVID. So other than Bray Lynn, we lost, we had five staff members when COVID started. We lost all four. I uh, lost our previous area director and other staff members. So the high school and middle school ministries at that time laid a little bit dormant. And so I just started with Everett Mill Creek Young Life in June. And so we're rebuilding teams and we're going to go reach the 13 different schools and ministries in the meantime, we had two high school leaders that kept pouring into their kids, um, and they got to take them to camp and see many of them meet Jesus. And so this is Christmas in July uh, up in Malibu, Canada, in the little inlet, kind of like, uh, like the Puget Sound. And then last photo for you for now. Um, this is our middle school. We call it Wildlife, and apparently I couldn't keep my eyes open for this photo. Uh, <laughs> But this is our first wildlife, our first middle school club. It was on Friday night, our first one in almost three years. And so we're so thankful. We're praying. We have, as you can see, a number of adults invested in this. We're spending time on campus. We're like missionaries to these kids that are far from God that wouldn't come to church. So that's the goal that we're trying to reach. Um, we had 17 kids trust us with their time on Friday. So we're excited to grow and build um, with that base uh, going forward. But thank you so much. Um, for your support, and we look forward to, to working hard uh, to reach students alongside you. Well, let's pray, and then we'll dig into the book of Mark, Gospel of Mark, this morning. Lord Jesus, it's so evident, to me at least, that you are here, you're present with us, um, not only in the way you always are, but also in the way that you gather with the body of Christ, that you are here. We thank you for that, Lord. 
And I pray as we look at, I believe, a story that shows your very heart for us and your heart for the world, help us to receive that this morning. That your love and compassion for us and for all of, of the people you created, uh, it's unconditional. It never ends. It goes to such great lengths that it changes us, that it heals us, that it brings wholeness into our lives that are broken. So help us to receive your love this morning. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and open your Bible to Mark chapter 2 or your your phone app. Are you a phone app church or or a Bible paper church? Both, mix. That's good. Anyway, we can get the Bible, right? I do love touching the paper, and now that I'm 34 and doing youth ministry, I am old compared to all the people I do ministry with, Um, but I do love touching paper. Mark chapter 2, we'll read in verse 1. I'm using the NIV, um, so it might be a little different, I'm not sure. And this is something, I love getting to just read a passage with you, because this is something in our clubs that we don't necessarily get to do. We always talk about Jesus. We always tell stories about Jesus from our lives and um, from the scriptures, But we do it in such a way that draws them in because in general, Generation Z and the kids that we're reaching, so that's the current, I don't know what the parameters are, but anyone under age like 24 is Generation Z. Um, They haven't heard, not only have they not touched a Bible or read a Bible for themselves, they've not heard someone read from the Bible. So it's a foreign concept for for them if they've never been in a church for us to open the Bible and, and read a big chunk for it. So we tell the story and we interact with them and engage with them. We get to the key point and then we read the verse, the very words of Jesus. So it's a little bit different. But I get to read it all with you. Mark 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, and that was kind of his home base, his hometown as an adult, and uh, that's why we got to name our, our ministry after it, one of them. The people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So they're just cramped, right? Everyone knows about Jesus, and they want to hear from him. Uh, Has anyone watched The Chosen? We've been talking about that the last couple years. I thought they did a good job with this scene. Uh, The Romans were getting upset because so many people were in the way of the road, you know? It was just kind of cool to think about. Verse 3. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then they lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they're right. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? I mean, that's a a good question. But I want you to know that the Son of Man, that's Jesus himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. They praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Amazing. 
Like we talked about, Jesus is back in his hometown, and you know, he drops this line that people like to quote even today, uh, whether they know him or not. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. So it's easier for him to be criticized here, although Pharisees manage to criticize him wherever he goes, right? And so everywhere he went, he had been, he had been healing people, and everyone wanted to see him, just great, great groups. So they all showed up, and it's just, it's packed, like we talked about. And then there's this man who was paralyzed. I don't think it said how long he was paralyzed for. Um, but he had four friends, and he needed every single one of them. Each of them actually picked him up, I imagine with a mat, four different corners of a mat, and they carried him to where Jesus was because they had faith that this man could be healed just like the others. And this is the man that had lost, at least lost the use of his legs, maybe more. Um, in this time period, it wasn't like today where there was, there was help. There was um, technology that uh, uh, could actually you know, facilitate all sorts of different things for him to get to do. Um, this man would have spent, spent much of his life on the side of the road. He would have moved when, when someone else could come and, and help him. He would have been begging for food and for money, completely dependent on the mercy of others. It was a very difficult life, and it it was a short life. But when they got there, they couldn't get anywhere close to Jesus, like we talked about, right? Can you imagine their disappointment? They came so far, they're not going to turn back now. So what did they do? What what would you have done in this situation? They got up on the back staircase of the roof. They dug straight through, and uh, back then, most houses would have been thatched roofs bolstered with compacted earth. So you can imagine as they're digging through, it's not a clean process. The house is packed with people. So you all have dirt in your hair, right? And you're trying to listen to Jesus. And this is like your one t- chance to listen to the most famous rabbi in Israel. And you're like, what are you doing? You're getting dirt in my eyes. They start lowering him down. And like, they went to such great lengths to get this guy, like the ability to have a livelihood, right? And Jesus doesn't do that. He just looks at him and says, you're Son, your sins are forgiven. I mean, that's a great thing to say, Rabbi, but that's not why we're here. That's not why we're here. And of course, the religious leaders are just up in arms, like, you can't say that, only God can say that. And again, they've got, they've got a great point. And of course, Jesus shows them the authority that he has, and he says, um, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, he took his mat, and he walked out, in front of all of them, and they, their minds were just blown completely. And again, there, there's something in this story that is very puzzling to us even today. What does Jesus mean by forgiving this man's sins instead of simply healing him right away? I mean, couldn't Jesus have healed him? And then he would have, this man would have been with Jesus. Jesus could have forgiven his sins anytime, you know? He wasn't abandoned Jesus after he's get healed, I bet. Well, Jesus is saying, I believe, and the scripture talks about this throughout all 66 books, that sin is actually a bigger issue than that man's physical ailment. Sin was a far bigger issue for him than his paralysis. And sin, you can define all sorts of different ways, but it's essentially falling short of what God has for us, his heart and his character for our life, right? And we're all sinners. We all have sin presently in our lives. We've all done sin that we're painfully aware of in the past. 
And sin creates this distance between us and God. It creates this chasm. And Jesus came, first and foremost, to erase that distance, to bring us close to God. And in the process, to bring healing to us, right? To heal our broken world, to bring wholeness to our lives. And I'm talking in our relationship with God, but I'm also talking whether we experience it in this life or when the kingdom of God is fully realized, he'll also heal all of our physical ailments. Jesus is our healer. And he accomplished all this in the most unlikely way, right? That he chose to sacrifice himself, to die for the sins of the world, to resurrect back to life, giving victory to everyone who would trust in him. True healing takes place in our lives when we know and are known by God through Jesus Christ. And everyone is invited to that. He truly is the hope of the world. That's it. He's the hope of the world. And that's the purpose of young life. Young life exists to take the hope of Jesus into the world of young people today. And that's where the mission of every church, just like Northview, comes from. We exist to take the hope of Jesus and and be an outpost of his kingdom here in the world today. And if Young Life, or Northview for that matter, or any human organization, ever becomes about how great Young Life is, or how great this is, or how great the teaching is, or how great whatever it is, then if it's not about the main thing of the hope of Jesus, then it it ceases to be as effective as, as it could be. Jesus Christ is the only hope that I have, the only hope that you have, the only hope for the world. And he's more than enough, friends. He's more. He's more than enough. So I want to take a step back. I want to outline three principles from this story that we can apply to our lives. The first is, Jesus Christ has the utmost compassion for those who are hurting. You see this with the paralyzed man and his friends. Um, You see this over and over again in the Gospels. Uh, My favorite story in the Gospels is the man with leprosy who approaches Jesus. Instead of sending him back like he should have if he was a good rabbi, Jesus actually goes up to him, and this makes me cry, because he, he's leprosy, you're not supposed to be near or touch, and he touches him before he heals him. And then he heals him. So he's like, your uncleanness doesn't affect Jesus, right? Ours, it doesn't affect Jesus. His cleanness actually makes us, makes us clean. He has so much compassion for, for us. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus has compassion for us, so much compassion for us, especially when we're hurting. And he invites us to come to him, to pray and ask for help and receive his his compassion. We also learn in this situation, I mean, we live in a polarized world, a cancel culture world. We, we see that if everyone is hurting, then like God, we should also have compassion for everyone, even and especially uh, those who maybe make themselves our enemies. There's this old quote. I've researched it a bunch. I can't figure out where it's actually come from. I don't even know if it's word for word exactly right, but it's a great quote, trust me. <laughs> Be kind, for everyone you meet is carrying a heavy burden. Right? That person behind you just honking and trying to fly by you, and you're like, why, why are they making my life more stressful right now? Like, well, we have no idea what's going on in that person's life. Not even in that moment, but just overall. You know? 
Uh, Number two, hurting people need the help of people sent by God. Hurting people need the help of people sent by God. What would this man have done without his four friends? He He wouldn't have made it there. He wouldn't have made it there. I'm sure there's times in your, all of your stories, or there will be if there haven't yet, where you've been hurting and someone's been there for you and that person has been the embodiment of Jesus Christ. His hands and feet showing you love and kindness. Matthew 9, 35-38 says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Love that and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See that compassion piece again? These crowds scattered. They don't know what to believe. They're trying to find life in all the places that don't give life. It's kind of the same today in our world. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, meaning there's so much healing to go around. There's so much need. And Jesus has an infinite supply of what our world needs. But the workers are few. The people doling it out are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And I find this amazing because Jesus could just, just like he did this paralyzed man, Jesus could heal everyone. He could heal everyone in the world anytime he wants to in any way that he wants to. And we have questions about that. Why why don't you do that? Uh, But we won't have those answered until we get to see him face to face. But he he chooses, in doling out healing and life and salvation to the world, he chooses to do so through people, through flawed human beings, that he actually wants us to share the good news about Jesus with others. And that's where he moves through his Holy Spirit, right? And he brings us to these places where maybe we're uncomfortable, but we're a witness for him. And then he uses that in incredible ways. And you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, when I'm doing chores and I bring my two-year-old along, you know, and I'm trying, to, I'm trying to lift something like a bag of groceries from the car and he's like, I want to do it, I want to do it. And I'm like, all right, Theo, come here. And, and he grabs it and he's kind of like hanging on it so it's making it harder for me, you know? And I'm trying to like get it into the house without him falling over. And that's kind of like I am with God. Like, Lord, I want to help reach these kids and I know you want to do it. Like, help me not to get in the way. Help me not to get in the way. But God is inviting each and every one of us to a work he's already doing. That he wants to work with you as your dad, as your loving father. And so it's for us to listen and to ask, Lord, where are you sending me? Are you sending me to my children? Are you sending me to my immediate family? Are you sending me to uh, the youth ministry at church or a different service in church? Or are you sending me to Africa? Are you sending me to middle school cafeteria with young life, whatever that might look like. Lord, where are you sending me? And then number three, Jesus has all the authority and the power in the world. And that means everything for these first two points, that if he has compassion for us and he's sending us, right, and he wants to to heal the world through these different ministries to draw people to himself, And he's going to do it, right? He's going to give us everything we need to accomplish the task he's called us to. Jesus said those two lines, your sins are forgiven. Get up, take your mat, and walk. And in the scripture, Jesus asked, which one's harder to say? 
I mean, think about that. Which one is harder? Is, is it harder to forgive someone's sins or is it harder to heal a paralyzed man on the spot? And it, it's a tough question. I heard a teacher also say like, well, you can always say someone's sins are forgiven without being able to back it up. You can't say you're healed, jump up and walk without being able to back it up, you know. Uh, but both are impossible for us and yet fully possible with God. And Jesus has the ability to do that. Uh, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 illustrates. I mean, you could pick like any verse in the New Testament to illustrate Jesus' authority, but I chose this one. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, that's Jesus, through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus has all authority and all power. So with these three principles in mind, let me ask you a question. Metaphorically speaking, who could that paralyzed man be in your life? As far as someone who needs God's compassion and help. I mean, first and foremost, it's us, right? That we're in desperate need of our forgiveness of sins and our healing in a lot of different ways. At the same time, we've been sent by God to people who are spiritually paralyzed so that we can help take them to Jesus. We can pick up, we don't have to do it all. We just pick up one corner of the mat and we do our best to bring them to Jesus. But who are those people in your life? Who are the people that come to mind? Does does anyone come to mind? It's so easy for for all of us to let life get full of so many different things. Right? There's so many different things that go on living in this modern world. Family and house and caring for our own mental and physical health and career. And sometimes it feels too costly. Like we don't have the time, we don't have the bandwidth to cultivate these types of relationships or we don't have any natural connections, whatever it might be. But I believe that there's somebody, there's somebody that God wants you to make a difference in their lives to help bring them to Jesus for the healing that they need. So that's one application for you to consider with the Lord and with your community. Another is, how does this apply to young life and and youth ministry as a whole? Because I'm a young life guy, I'm going to bring it there. And for that, let me ask you a question. Do you remember, maybe you're there now, do you remember what it was like to be a teenager? What was your experience like in middle school and high school? I remember breaking my arm right here, playing roller hockey the very last day of seventh grade. I remember feeling uncertain about switching schools, going into eighth grade, going from a private school to a public school for the first time. I remember the hopeful nervousness I felt when I first took a girl to the homecoming dance. I remember trying to navigate the the hallways, right? Visit my locker, hang out with friends, eat my lunch, whatever it was, in the five minutes between classes. You got to go from one side to the other. I also remember the unconditional love and acceptance from a couple of youth leaders that made all the difference in my life, my final year of high school. I wonder what you remember be so fascinating to get to hear each other's stories. The more I spend time with young people, the more I believe young people are amazing. 
that they have so much to offer the world, that they're brimming with life and energy. Uh, this photo here um, is my first time at, at Malibu. It was that Christmas in July photo, and this was our, our guy's cabin. Man, they, <laughs> they had so much energy and life and fun. Um, and this camp experience was unlike any I've ever been with, because generally, uh, as far as I know, these six guys hadn't come in with really a relationship with God, but kind of the ringleader, first night, we're like, where are you at camp? The ringleader's like, I was here three years ago, and I met Jesus, and the last three years, I've done a terrible job of following him. I'm here to learn how to follow Jesus. And everyone else is like, yeah, we're going to do that. They just, <laughs> they just followed him all week. I'm like, this is like the easiest week of camp I've ever been at. This is fantastic. This is a good discipleship opportunity. But these young people are amazing. And as a collective group in our society, they're also really hurting. They're really hurting. I mean, we're coming up on three years ago now. I mean, you all know what's happened. And most in-person school was shut down for basically 18 months, like a year and a half of these people's lives. Um, and given the pandemic, it's not a surprise that students have been hurting. But this isn't an isolated season. It's a continuation of an alarming trend. Uh, that I want to share with you. Let me go next slide, please. So they have some things stacked against them. The first is technology and digital media. It's never been more complicated to grow up, right? And you talk about technology as a tool that you can use for good or use for bad. That's hard to figure out when you're like 11, you know? Um, there's a lot there. You know, we used to compare ourselves to our classmates growing up. Like, how many push-ups can you do? And there's like 25 kids in your PE class. Well, now you can instantly compare yourself to everyone in the entire internet, like three billion people. And that's what these kids grow up with. Next, there's lack of social capital. Many things get in the way of friendships between adult and kids today. There's a lot of um, boundaries all over the place. Even the structures we have in place as a society, what I mean by this is healthy relationships with adults in addition to kids' parents has been shown to play a key role in their development in becoming an adult. And that's what, that's what I mean by social capital. But the structures we have in place is society. Long hours at school, long hours of homework, long hours of sometimes specialized activities or sports, countless hours of unsupervised screen time, video games, media, entertainment. These things actually stunt our capacity for relationships with adults who, who care and can really make a difference in these kids' lives. And it can compound some other problems too. Uh, lastly, there's, there's mental health struggles. Very real mental health struggles. It's not, um, it's not made up. According to Mental Health America and the CDC, 15% of youth aged 12 to 17 in the United States as of 2021 have experienced a major depressive episode in the last year. That's about one in six, one in seven. 44% say that they have uh, persistent, experienced persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness. That's almost half. Before COVID, this number was 37%. Over two and a half million have severe major depression that affects their ability to function every day. And over 60% of these young people do not receive any, any treatment for that. I'll pause there. I'll stop there with the stats. But it's enough to say that anxiety and suicidal ideation are on the rise as well. Young people today in general, there are exceptions to every rule, but in general, they're hurting they remind me, in some ways spiritually, of that paralyzed man on the mat. They're not going to Jesus by themselves. They need a community sent by God 
to help bring them to Jesus, help bring Jesus to them. And yet in the midst of all this, there is so much hope. There's so much hope that Jesus brings. I want to read uh, John 10.10 in the message. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. There's a lot of thieves in kids' lives today. I came, Jesus said, so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. So much hope in Jesus. And I have experience with some of this hurt and, and with this hope as well. When I was growing up, middle school and high school years were, they were really hard for me. Um, this is kind of a silly example, but it was very real at the time. When I was 15, I was convinced that I was going to make it in the NFL as a wide receiver. And uh, you look at my size, you're like, that's, well, I'm Tyler Lockett's size. I could be Tyler Lockett, you know. Didn't, did not run a 4-3 like Tyler, though. Um, I played football for Bothell High School. I loved it, absolutely loved it. Towards the end of my sophomore year, I started having this pain in my lower back, and so much so that I kept pushing into my back, and it would just bruise just because I kept pushing into it to relieve the pain. And uh, go to a bunch of different doctors. They end up doing a bone scan where you can't move. You know, you got to scan your whole body. And they found a stress fracture uh, in, my, in my spine, in the, in the bottom. And they're like, hey, you got to take a year off. You know, put a brace on. Let's get this thing healed. Um, so that's what I did. And then I rehabbed for about a year to get ready for my senior year playing for football. And uh, I start running in spring ball and got to, got to play with the starters, which was like my dream. And that pain came back again, got scanned again. I remember my dad picked me up from practice and it wasn't time for him to be off work yet. So I knew it came back, right? So I'm like, oh, can't play football. At that point in my life, I just felt pretty hopeless. I was pretty lost. I played a ton of video games, didn't help. I got depressed. In the middle of all this, at age 17, I decided, you know what? I'm going to join the military. So I get my mom somehow to agree to take me to the military office and sign me over and whatnot. And uh, they take one good look at me and they say, son, I'm sorry, you, you can't join the military. I'm like, what? Um, I was born with just two fingers on my left hand, a thumb and a pinky. They said, you can only be missing one digit to join the military. You've got to be able to shoot with, with both hands. Um, when I was born, uh, the doctors said, well, there's an umbilical cord that may have wrapped around the middle three fingers and snuffed them out. And then they looked at it and said, actually, no, that, that didn't happen. We don't, we don't know. It's just the way that God made me. And so wrestling through that in middle school and, and high school, I came to know that God, just like the man born blind in John 9, God made me this way for his glory. And it's a great opportunity for me to share with kids, with students, who feel like they have something different about themselves too. And God made that for his glory. <laughs> And during this time in my life, I had three, three adults from a church just like this one that kept loving me unconditionally. That my parents made me go to youth group and I didn't want to be there, but they kept loving me unconditionally. Uh, Jeff Geis, Phil Kimmon, Brian Bauma. And I remember Jeff one time just showed up at one of my track meets. That was a sport I could still do. I was shocked he was there. Phil and Brian would play tackle football with us. Phil was like in his 40s. Like, I would never play tackle football with my guys today. I would get killed. I'm like, I'm, I'm out. But it was through their consistent investment, slowly over time, um, that I started getting interested in Jesus. And I realized that he didn't just die for the whole world. He died for me. That he loves me so much, he wanted me to experience life with him. And that made all the difference in the world for my life. I wouldn't have received it at that time without those three adults 
investing me, just being in my life. And I do Young Life now because there's a ton of students. There's about 10,000 middle schoolers and high schoolers just in the Everett School District alone, of Jackson and Cascade and Everett and all the middle schools that feed in, that they're just like me, that they need someone to be there for them, to love them unconditionally through the ups and downs in life. And ultimately, as, as people, as the church is sent to those young people, that's how Jesus brings them to himself. And just like that man, paralyzed man on the mat, Jesus is still changing lives today. And it took those four friends who were willing to sacrifice and pick up a corner of the mat and bring that man to Jesus. And so for young people today, it takes adults who are following Jesus to say, hey, I don't know, I can't do it all, but I can pick up one corner of the mat. You know, maybe you can go and spend time with students in your youth ministry or in Young Life or you have a student in your life that you can pour into or you want to find a new way to, to cultivate that. Um, maybe, you know, the idea of being a Young Life leader or a wildlife leader, maybe that scares you more than anything. Like if you've ever been in a middle school cafeteria, that's what wildlife is, it's a cross-cultural experience, right? It's, it's crazy in there. Um, maybe that scares you. But there's all sorts of people behind the scenes making those ministries possible. If it's dropping off a pizza, or if it's how can we pray for you, you're praying while things are going on. Um, If it's how can we support you as leaders, how can we care for you? There's so many different things. It's different people picking up different parts of the map. With Young Life, what this looks like is there are leaders who spend time with kids. There are committee members who are behind the scenes Uh, There's staff who do the work that volunteers don't have the capacity to do. And then there's donors, just like you as a church, that give generously so that young life can happen. And again, you can apply those four corners of a mat to any setting with young people. And so I think for all of us, first and foremost, we're called to pray. To pray for our young people and the challenges that they're facing. And we can all do that. But is God, ask that question, is God leading you into more ministry with young people. Pray and consider, what is it that God has for you? Is it a role in this youth ministry? Is it um, the ability to invest relationally in a young person? Is it the ability to give towards those ministries? And of course, uh, if you'd ever like to learn more about connecting in youth ministry, I got to meet uh, Zeb today, uh, youth ministry director, awesome guy. I'd love to talk to you more about Young Life anytime. The church has my info. But it takes all of us functioning in these different roles and capacities to show the love of Jesus to young people. And that's exactly what he made us to do as the body of Christ. It's so beautiful, these different parts, these different members. So to recap, I think it really boils down to we need to go to Jesus for ourselves any way that we can, receive the healing that we need. And then we want to help others go to Jesus. How can we play a role to encourage others towards him? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful um, that you sent those adults into my life and that they were just there. I'm thankful for this church and the youth ministry it has and the way that it cares for its young people and the way that it provides fun and life-giving activities for them and ultimately a connection to you, Lord Jesus. And Father, my heart breaks for those in this church and those in the churches around us and even outside the church, Lord, 
who are hurting like that paralyzed man right now, that they need, we need your comfort, Lord. Please give us your healing. And I pray, Father, that you would give us direction as we receive that healing from you. For who is it that you are sending us to? Where is the place um, where the harvest is ripe? Where is the place where the workers are few that you want us to go? Please lead us, Lord, to be your church in action. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.